There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Pablo Sabaleta. This is Troy Dini. This is Kevin Phillips. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. Look, I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona. And our socios keep us on the road. This independent podcast simply wouldn't happen without them. Please head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now. Join us, become a socio, a member, and you'll get extra big interview content every month, plus lots of bonuses. We need you. We can't do this without you. Welcome back to the big interview at the World Cup for our second half of the Q&A special. Our next question is from Richard Kosmala, who's one of our socios. Graham, did it surprise you that with all the doomsday predictions of trouble, the competition passed without any incident at all? And he finishes off with saying, thank you for all the pods during the competition. Massively enhanced my enjoyment of it. Uh, that's great to know, Richard. That's heartwarming. Did it surprise me? When I arrived in Moscow at first, in sort of late May, um, I went to what's called the International Broadcast Centre. It just becomes the IBC for everybody who works at the tournament. And it's always a big campus, a gigantic campus. It's usually an exhibition hall or a showground or some sort of old gigantic municipal site. And they build this sort of plywood city in it where... There's a home for FIFA, there's a home for the organisation I work for, which is called Host Broadcasting Service. All the broadcasters have an office there, and it's, you know, kilometre after kilometre of endless track where you see all the computer equipment, where some filming is done, where some editing is done, where features that go out centrally to all the broadcasters who paid the money and they can use them. This gets produced there. It's where logistics are, where uniforms are kept. It's just a massive World Cup city. And I got there, and because it's, you know, a converted resource, it, it did have a different life. And everywhere on the roads that, that you know, zigzagged through this International Broadcast Centre, there were, as there would be in ordinary roads, manholes. And I noticed that um, every manhole... Um, there, as I would go on and notice that every manhole around the roads around every stadium, um, every training ground within every stadium, had used that material. There's a there's a material that you use. You squeeze out of a, a spray gun that you can use to seal up holes. If you think you've got vermin, a pro, that there might be a problem with vermin. When I lived in London, it was very popular. You you, you sort of squeeze it out of the the gun and it hardens and it's it, it's just like a a foam, but it becomes rock hard. I don't know if it's a polyurethane or whatever. Every manhole was sealed with that wherever I went in Russia, with the idea being that nobody could get in and sneak in and plant a bomb or attack somewhere via the sewers. And I thought on that day, that's pretty comprehensive. And for the remaining 
five weeks that I was at the World Cup, to go anywhere, the layers of security you had to go through. But I'd been warned by Duncan McMath from the Confederations Cup that the security was relentless, that it was unforgiving, that you had to play by their rules, and more so than at any other time, and complimented, I have to say, complimented by the single best volunteer force I've ever been party to um, their work at any major competition I've been at, ever. Truly extraordinary, so knowledgeable, so friendly, so helpful, and so complementary to the experience of security, which meant that I, I couldn't quite understand how anything untoward was going to be sneaked into a stadium. That, that's, that's my experience, uh, Richard. And um, I'm not a counter-terrorism expert, so, you know, what other provisions went on nationally and internationally, I'm not sure, but I do know, I got to know the security chief from the Spanish Federation, who, to be fair, I've shared time with other tournaments, and he's a crack, he's sharp, um, he's right on the ball. And I got to know our Russian Secret Service agent called Maxim, who'd been deployed to the Spain team, and I saw him in action. I saw the sniper at the corner of... Um, the Spain training ground, I saw the sniper in some of the stadiums we went to, as I did during Euro 16 um, as well. And you look at the way in which Russia operates as a country and the horror they've had at being dragged into what they see as weakness and folly by the rest of the world when they see terrorist atrocities in major cities. They clearly had experience in their conflict with Chechnya and once I got there and with each passing day I, I'll be honest and say I wasn't surprised it's my point of view that football is a little bit vulnerable I think football has a soft underbelly and if you go to a lot of football internationally these days it's often the case that you look at provisions at the ground and you think really is that is that is that a maximum we should be doing uh, I'll be f completely frank and, and admit that that's what I feel and yet in Russia it felt as if the planning, the provisions, the execution of what was meant to protect all of us and give us a happy tournament was, as they say in Spain, a topic at peak, you know, doing the right thing and doing it well. This question is from Callum M on Twitter. Should Deschamps leave now that he's won the World Cup and make way for Zidane to take over? Callum, are you Zidane's new agent? Migliaccio's been dumped and, and Callum's in. OK, it's a new service we bring you here in the big inside view. Look, um, I don't know if you know Callum or not, but the instant that Zidane quit at Real Madrid, Deschamps went to the French Federation and said, give me a new contract. It was a renewed contract. It was a new uh, gesture of faith. It, it wasn't about Deschamps thinking he was going to be sacked for this tournament. I think that Callum, that what he expected to be able to do was irrespective of result. I mean, unless they went out having lost all three group games, Deschamps' power play, and that's exactly what it was, meant that he saw a value in this team, given its talent and its age, given the way he's reshaped it with 12 or 11 players dumped from Euro 2016. Some of them will fight their way back in. I'm absolutely sure that they'll now avail themselves of Kingsley Coleman. Koscielny has a chance. 
Martial is an, is an obvious candidate to play more football in the qualification leading up to 2020 or in the Nations League, let's call it that. So after a World Cup, I, I understand your point. Deschamps, having fought for his position prior to the tournament, having felt under pressure, having really never enjoyed three or four straight months since he took over in 2012 without criticism... It might be that he goes, yeah, OK, two fingers up. I'm going to walk away with a World Cup and try and find somebody better. But I, right now, I, I don't think so. I'll tell you a little story that I was at Chelsea's training ground in the, oh, I don't know, about six, seven months after Germany won the 2014 World Cup. And I have a friend on the staff there, and he was telling me that uh, Schurler, who, who crossed for Guts as winner, and it was a Chelsea player at the time, came back. And after three or four months, admitted to the technical staff, I have no idea what's wrong with me. I'm going at all levels. I'm behaving well. I'm living well at night. I'm eating the right things. I'm training the same. And I'm completely screwed. I'm in pieces. Zidane said, much, much more retrospectively, but looking back at the period from July 98 until pretty much January 99, that he was washed out, that he, it, the, the effect of the psychological, the emotional effect of winning the World Cup completely overwhelmed him for a handful of months. So what Didier Deschamps is actually going to do, Cam, I don't know, but I suspect that he's a stubborn, uh, I would say in Scotland, thrown man. He renewed his contract just before the World Cup. He's won with a group of players who, as Martin and I established yesterday, since you know the, the youngest group, or the, certainly the youngest team to win it since Brazil in 1970. So I don't need to emphasise to you that if you were in charge, you know you, you wouldn't see the horizons far away. You'd see the horizons very near. You'd be saying to that group and saying to yourself, like he, in his words, like we did in 2000, we can go and win back-to-back tournaments. That's That has to be what Deschamps and his group are thinking. And therefore... In the natural sequence of events, Zidane has to wait to take over, I think. Mm-hmm. Andy McElwain on Twitter. Um, Andy's a great supporter of the podcast, actually. I'm sure he was involved in the Kickstarter campaign back in the start. I remember meeting him at our London event a few years ago, and I think he's a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. Um, he says, Now VAR is in place at major tournaments and in major leagues, should retrospective punishment be put in place to give players bans if they try to con the referee via diving and cheating? Neymar is an example under this should have been banned for a few games. Hi Andy, thanks for thanks for being with us and for your support. As Martin says, it's it's good to hear from you. And look, Neymar is has been disgraced, I think, in this World Cup, and, and he's a laughing stock, which is a terrible shame, uh, given his outrageous talent. And maybe it's the case that rather than asking him to mature himself, maybe an outside shock in the form of what you're talking about, which is retrospective bans, might be a curative. I buy that. I like VAR. I think it's been a huge success in the World Cup. Just touching on something from yesterday, I'm now aware how much the football world, at least the ex-footballers, disagreed with my thought that it was a penalty committed by Perisic in the final. I go back to admitting that if people of better knowledge than me want to argue that and correct me, then I don't have a big problem with that, but I like the process. I think the process worked really well and it's clear that the the referee was under no political pressure or 
um, pressure from his superiors to give a penalty in that instance. It just so happened that the Argentinian referee thought it was a penalty. I thought the process worked well. I think it's an addition. I, I know I'm on a little tributary. I'm going to weigh a little bit from your question, but I do want to say that I'm not a rabid advocate of VAR. I was not one of those who saying it must come in. Progress has to be adopted. That wouldn't sum up my position, but I have, I've seen worth, and although it wasn't introduced for entertainment value, I think there is an entertainment value, and I think people that won't admit that or won't address that are, are, are maybe a little bit hidebound. That isn't its purpose. It's a sidebar. You know, it's a side effect. As far as being, you know, able to look retrospectively at diving, you know, there are certain competitions, not all, that, that look at f serious foul play and, and there are retrospective bans. And if I'm honest about what I, what I would like to see, well, for example, I think during this tournament, as VAR started to say, particularly in England, Colombia, that's a penalty. We spotted you. The grappling became a little bit less in the penalty box. I think that the more that VAR teaches you that you can't get away with things, people will desist. Players will desist. Coaches will desist in saying, yeah, try that. Get away with that. Here's a tactic. Make sure you do this. That will diminish if VAR keeps catching villains out and punishing them. Retrospectively, is a big forward step from where we're at right now. For my taste, if it was crystal clear and you could trust the legitimacy of the people who were judging it, it's an interesting idea worth discussion. To say I'm absolutely in agreement with it, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think it has merit. But I'll close on one thing, Andy. I, I, I think that we saw, in name at least, although I, I wouldn't call Spain's representative at the tournament, Spain's elite referee, Mateo Laws, in theory we saw the best referees, the best assistants, the best fourth officials, the best VAR people at this tournament. And as a result, compared to what was forecast, which was utter and complete farcical chaos, we didn't have that. I think that when a referee gives a big VAR decision, it's my impression that that lives with them during the next 30, 40 minutes. And I think it's going to take time before we see referees being able to inflict really big, important VAR decisions and then carry on as if nothing's happened. I think that's difficult. I think that for leagues where VAR is now being introduced off the back of this World Cup, for example, La Liga in Spain, I don't expect things to run as smoothly as they did at an elite event like the World Cup where everybody was absolutely on the Sunday best and going, you know, I'm going to live and breathe this system to make sure that I don't screw up. So I think that we're I, I think that we're in for you know probably several bumpy months, and I think that we're in a period of adaptation and assessment, Andy. So I, I'm listen. If Infantino wants to get you and me onto some consultation committee, I'll go with you, and uh, probably I'll be arguing something similar to you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Interesting question from JSF underscore 7 on Twitter. He says... Do you think the emotional baggage that comes with playing for Argentina and Brazil hinders their chances of success in recent years? So much talent, but question marks over mental fragility when faced with adversity. Wow. Um, first of all, we're talking to a great supporter of uh, the podcast and somebody worth listening to on, on Twitter. I think, I think your point is obviously true of Brazil and Brazil. That was just a soap opera, wasn't it? You know, their own people rebelling in the streets. The government bringing not just cops, but troops. People saying, we don't want this World Cup, we want hospitals and schools. And then a brand of football, Scolari's brand of football, that wasn't right for the country, that wasn't right for that squad. And I say that with an agenda because I, I'm just not a Scolari fan at all. I think he plays Neanderthal football. And... To try and jam that into a country that was, you know, without Neymar, that was at war with itself, itching and scratching, you know, it was like, it was like singing detective, wasn't it? They had bandages on every piece of skin, yet they were still tearing away with their nails and scratching at each other. And that doesn't lead to a healthy atmosphere whereby, you know, emotional baggage is irrelevant. If you're talking about pressure and, and heritage and Argentina looking over their shoulders and saying, not only do we have to win it again, but can we win it in a, in, in a way that will humiliate Brazil because they've got too many and we've got too few. Brazil going into every tournament, irrespective of form, irrespective of what continent it's playing in, believing that they not should win, will win, that's baggage. But if, if I really answer your question honestly, Argentina this time, didn't lose because of that. They lost because there was a point past which the chaos that surrounded their FA, the diminution in quality of their domestic league, the inability of certain players to rise to the occasion one more time. It was a tournament too much for Mascherano, for example. Um, the injury to 
Romero, their principal goalkeeper. The fact that Geronimo Rui wasn't there and that Willy Caballero was chosen and had a stinker. These things, you know, we can ignore the obvious at our peril. But Argentina, it's really sad to say, weren't good enough, weren't unified enough, didn't have the same... I will say, I thought Sampaoli, in the dark of a South American winter campaign in territory that they understood against opponents they understood it felt like there was some momentum it felt like there was some unity if I'm not wrong the striker who, who gave oomph in the in the final qualification game which I think was away to Ecuador immediately got injured the, the principal goalkeeper gets injured Mascherano's a tournament too far Messi has you know a flat game against Croatia that's just a fact and that these things count more. These things count more. I think, you know, the 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 way in which Mbappe can run right through the middle of the team and you know punt it past Rojo and make him commit a penalty. You know, Brazil surprised me. I I, I will say I didn't see them losing, but they should have. They they should ultimately have beaten Belgium. It did. You know, the the chances that were missed by Augusto, who scored his brilliant goal, and then Mr. Sitter, by Coutinho, who was put right through, and Mr. Sitter, Courtois producing one of the saves of the tournament from Neymar, Belgium, you know, becoming like the Alamo, sitting in their own box, being pummeled, Roberto Martinez not making a, a substitution. I don't like the expression much, I have to say, about when you hear it in Spain about the ball didn't want to go in. But there are some nights where you go, OK... I understand when players and coaches use that expression. And therefore, it, it's if I've learned anything from the Spain team that won the World Cup in 2010, the ones I still speak to regularly, which is a few of them, they talk about how often it's the sound of things clicking into place, whether you know why they're clicking into place or not, that wins you something. And Argentina were overwhelmingly not good enough. And Brazil had one of those nights where... They'll still be asking themselves, how did we go out? And if they'd gone through, would they have gone on to win? I don't know, but I thought they were the winners. At that stage, prior to the kickoff against Belgium, it was my impression that Brazil were good enough and had enough talent and had a decent enough coach in TJ to, to win this. So it was a surprise to me that they, that they went out that night. But thank heavens for the World Cup and, and those types of surprises, no? Yeah, I just want to give a quick shout out to one of our socios, Donald Beans, who's asked a question on VAR just since we've started recording. That question's come in, but I think you've covered it in a previous question, Graham. So we'll move on from that. But thanks very much for that. We're going to finish last but not least with Diana Yao. Um, with all the talk and debate of whether this is the best World Cup ever, where does this rank among the ones you've been to? Growing up in the nineties myself, France '98 was the first I remember in my late childhood, and so it's nice to see France win it again. So this World Cup is probably up there for me. I really like that question because Diana's kind of given us her opinion as well. She's kind of teased it out a little bit more. And Graham, that's something you were mentioning just uh, uh, before we started recording, that it's really nice to get kind of more feedback from socios about their opinions um, so that we can kind of spin off it a bit more. I agree with that. Um, when my wife, my brother and I went to USA 94, we had a whale of a time at that World Cup because in those days you could still buy the air equivalent of an interrail. You know, the interrail was what we bought in um, 82 where you paid, I don't know, 250 bucks and you got a, a month's free rail travel. 
which we used to go from the north of Scotland to the south of Spain and back, and never once went off the beaten track. But you can do, you could do in 1994 the equivalent of um, of that in America, where you bought a pass and it was an air pass, and you flew around the states for I don't know if we were there for a month, but it was um, an extraordinary experience, an extraordinary uh, World Cup, um, full of people and um, stadia and 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 weather conditions that I'd never seen before and but that was an extraordinary experience and in terms of working at a World Cup I, I've been I've been very lucky in that um, for example the German World Cup I thought at the time was so full of character so full of um, incident packed full of football that I really enjoyed um, I did it as an independent as a freelance working for a Chinese company and therefore, um, I was able to sculpt my own World Cup, choose which training camps I went to. And in those days, it, you know, it's it's really weird to imagine now. But the Brazil camp, um, you could walk straight up to the Brazilian players after training. You could ask them for an interview. You could chat away to them if you dominated the language. And at training, I was within touching distance of the Brazil players as they were doing their sort of gymnastic stretches and using that big rubber band where you you know one player holds it another player tries to run away but they're being restrained and so you're working on stamina and power and sprinting and and you know in in Königsberg we we were allowed I mean literally practically onto the training pitch and you know I could recount other experiences across that World Cup where I saw things and wrote about things that inspired me I go again as far as France 98, having been at that tournament, that was spectacular. The team that I was covering, England, was knocked out relatively promptly, so therefore, again, I could sculpt my own experience about which games to go to, which cities to visit, um, which training camps to, to, to focus in on, which interviews to try and get one-on-ones. And, and that's a key factor, Diana, that in those tournaments where I began to work, and this goes for the Euros too, Initially, it was far, far easier to get one-on-one time. It was less corporate, less controlled, and you could genuinely um, try and pick on the characters you thought would decorate a World Cup and not just use the internet to research them and go to a press conference and top up with quotes. Sometimes you could get really near to them. And what's more, as I travelled, you know, I, I bumped into uh, Frank Leboeuf and interviewed him. I bumped into Robert Prozinecki and interviewed him. I bumped into Jorginho and had a coffee with him. Didn't interview him, but sat down for a coffee. And I was sitting next to this this guy who'd been, you know, the star of 1970 for, for, for my taste. And and experiences like that um, live with you for life, change you as a storyteller, um, change your point of view. And um, therefore, this one was special, but, you know, I can't escape the obvious conclusion that the World Cup I've enjoyed most was the one where I was with Spain from start to finish, every training session, some most of their flights... Um, often staying in the same hotel, again getting more access to them, enjoying living in Potchefstroom, watching them do special things, and then ending up in the dressing room with the World Cup and you know the Queen and Rafa Nadal and a beer from Pedro and also South Africa was a truly you know extraordinary experience in terms of you know some of the risks we took, some of the fun we had, some of the people we met, the games that we witnessed, the the way in which the country reacted to having the World Cup there, I, I, you know, a little 
a couple of hours of cricket on the beach in Durban, um, working with a brilliant cameraman and, and, a, and a very good local guy, uh, Miami and The Shadow. So to me, it's 2010 and Russia doesn't overtake it, um, can't, because when you're attached to a team and they win, it's off the scale. Okay, that's our show, folks. Thanks to everyone who sent in questions. We do plenty of Q&As throughout the season, exclusive to our socios. To join, go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to unlock hours of content as well as showing your support for this independent podcast. For now, Graham Hunter, thank you very much for your time. Mr. Martin, Greg, can I say two things? One, thank you all for being there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for commenting on Twitter. Please help us. If you enjoy this, if you enjoy your interviews, Tell friends, tell family, tell them to join. The subscription, I think, is still very good value. Please join us. Please promote the idea. Adios todos. Gracias. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.